When were the... What school's... Uh... Who decides what the next... Where's that story? Why they keep the loop? What is this? It's Curious City. Where WBEZ answers your questions about Chicago, the region, and its people. Hi, I'm Chris Bentley, a reporter with Curious City. And I'm Jen Masongarb of the Chicago Architecture Foundation. Today we're teaming up on a question we're both geeked about. Yeah, it jumped out at me when I read through the hundreds of Curious City questions about architecture. Me too. I'm a casual geology nerd and I've actually got a geologic timescale pinned to my wall. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, then let's get started. Okay. So our question asker is Mike Vendel, and he works as a programmer in Chicago's Loop. Mike doesn't usually give much thought to how skyscrapers stay standing, but... When I'm outside enjoying the lakefront at the beaches or other park areas, you know, you see the sand and you see these huge skyscrapers in the skyline and you think, like, you know, how do, how do they stay stable in that structure? So he asked Curious City how it all came to be. I want to know how these huge, massive buildings are stabilized in sandy and swampy soil. It took a lot of experimenting and some feats of engineering to deal with the swampy soil that Mike refers to. So it makes sense to clear up what exactly our soil's made of. We put the question to Ray Wiggers, a geologist at Oakton Community College. If you can imagine your front yard in a little muddy spot you have after it's rained for a while, and that sediment is really, really saturated and it's very oozy, can you imagine trying to build a skyscraper in that? Wiggers says a giant prehistoric lake used to cover downtown Chicago. And all the ancient organic matter, all that soil, the dead leaves, the dead fish, sunk to the bottom and became layers of sand, silt, and clay. That's what makes up our soil today. But underneath the mucky layers is the jackpot, a rock called dolomite. That's our regional bedrock, sort of a very hard, solid, bone-white rock. Dolomite is the bedrock that can anchor even the biggest skyscrapers. But in Chicago, it's far underground which is a problem for the skyscraper business. You have to either dig through all that glop, all those wet sediments going down, sometimes as far as 80 feet or so, or you have to have some kind of a structure that will float in that sediment and hopefully keep the building, you know, standing up the way it should. Easier said than done, especially with 19th century technology. So in the late 1800s, Chicago architects and engineers went through a lot of trial and error to build tall in this kind of soil. And I know a building where we can still see the error part. It's the auditorium building, designed by Dankmar Adler and Louis Sullivan. So we're here in the basement of the building to look at an example that's 125 years old of a Chicago building that was designed to be incredibly innovative at the time, but has settled and shifted in ways that maybe were unexpected. Chris and I walked to the northwest corner of the basement with our auditorium building guide, Leslie Slavitt. She's with the building's owner, Roosevelt University. This is quite elaborate. It's amazing, isn't it? When the building opened in 1889, it was one of the city's most impressive structures. It was also one of the heaviest, at 110,000 tons. Adler and Sullivan distributed that weight through a foundation system of isolated piers, but the exterior walls were made of a heavy stone, and the interior walls were made of iron and steel. So different parts of the building settled at different rates and depths. And so here you can see um, oh, wow. a big sweep. Uh, probably goes down about, you know, foot, foot and a half. All right, let me, let's do this marble trick. Okay. Chris and I bring along a bag of marbles to illustrate the problem. Nothing is level. 
And at the crack in the floor, they raced down the slope and they hit the wall. Just lost a marble. <laughs> It'll be part of history. Chicago's sinking buildings made headlines, and our soil earned some great nicknames. Here's a bit from an 1891 article in the New York Times. What shall it profit Chicago to have taken the prairies and the wheat fields and the distant lairs of wolves and bears in its municipal embrace, if the proud palaces and the haunts of its board of trade must sink in a smother of slimy ooze? Who shall restrain the great lair of, hmm, cream? No. Marmalade? No. Jelly? Yes. Who shall restrain the great lair of jelly in Chicago's cake? Who indeed? Architects Daniel Burnham and John Wellborn Root didn't exactly try to restrain the jelly, but they did design a foundation that would float the building on our cake. Burnham and Root's 1891 Monadnock building at the corner of Jackson and Dearborn is one of the heaviest skyscrapers still standing. We visit the building's basement to see how such a heavy building stands up without standing on solid bedrock. Monadnock's basement has a foundation made of grillage, which are kind of like giant waffles, made of layered slabs of steel rails and concrete. And there are dozens of these waffles, and each waffle has a column sticking out of it, and the building rests on those columns. The grillage, or the waffles, distribute weight. So it's like the huge Monadnock building sits on rafts, floating on Chicago's soft clay. Conceptually, things aren't that different today. Engineers can still kind of float skyscrapers on top of smushy soil, but they use a sturdier, deeper layer of clay called hardpan. Sometimes, hardpan can be better than bedrock. Take it from Bill Baker, one of the engineers behind the world's tallest skyscraper, the Burj Khalifa. He says modern technology makes it easier to find solid bedrock, but it doesn't always make financial sense to use it. One of the reasons we don't always sit on the rock is it's very, very expensive, okay? Because once you, you, po- you poke through that, that hard pan, you're fighting this water that's under pressure. Pumping all the water can overwhelm your project and your budget. Sometimes floating a building on hard pan is good enough. So, Jen, even 150 years after Chicago built its first tall buildings, new challenges and clever solutions just keep coming. And Baker says maybe more so from places with bad soils. London, Boston, Shanghai, they all have soggy soil. Right. And designers in each of those cities have to fine-tune their own solution. So that means Chicago's reputation for great architecture and technological innovation might not have developed in spite of its swampy soil, but because of it. Yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. Chicago has persevered through the muck. Literally. Literally, yes. Reporting today came from me, Chris Bentley. And me, Jen Masongarb. Curious City was founded by Jennifer Brandel, WBEZ, AIR, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. And Jen Masongarb, special thanks to you and the Chicago Architecture Foundation for your help on this one. No problem. Check out all the cool things they're about on their website, the very impressive URL, architecture.org. You should also go to wbez.org slash Curious City. Or both. Yeah, go to both. All this talk of waffles and cake and 
jelly. Yeah. <laughs> molasses, soil as molasses. Yeah. Peanut butter. Waffles. Waffles. Slabs of, of concrete. Course. Yeah. Architecture can be delicious. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm kind of hungry now. Curious City on WBEZ is supported by New Belgium Brewing, which believes some of our best and most memorable times come from slowing down, taking it easy, and letting it all sink in. Enjoy a Slow Ride Session IPA at New Belgium's Slow Ride Sessions, opportunities crafted to give a reprieve from the hustle. New Belgium and Good Beer Hunting are partnering with Chicago's best artisans and makers to share their practices in intimate, hands-on sessions, giving folks a chance to check out from their day-to-day and enjoy learning something meaningful over a few beers. Learn more at newbelgium.com. Coming up on WBEZ's Curious City a Civil War prison camp on Chicago's south side where Confederate soldiers were so short on food, they turned to desperate measures. And the officer posted a note saying, well, anybody who can find my dog will receive a reward. And Confederates posted a note next to it that uh, the dog was meat and we're the ones who ate it. (laughs) Starving prisoners and more buried stories from Camp Douglas. Next week on WBEZ's Curious City.